Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and whether or not a sensu bean would be more effective if it was a suppository. I am joined by my co-host Todd. Hi. And tonight we'll be doing a brief introduction of what Instant Transmission is and who we are, as well as talking about the first story arc in Dragon Ball Super, God of Destruction. We'll be breaking the story down into two different podcast episodes, so tonight we'll be giving our opinions of episode one through nine of Dragon Ball Super. So, Todd, why don't you go ahead and introduce the Instant Transmission podcast before we introduce ourselves? Yes, so what exactly is Instant Transmission? Well, it's a podcast where Dayton and I, two big fans of the Dragon Ball series, get together and have a conversation about our likes, dislikes, and assessments of the franchise. Anything from Dragon Ball, Z, Super, and maybe even GT. To start things off, we'll be going through Dragon Ball Super, and like Dayton said, we're going to be splitting it up into digestible chunks. So today we're going over episodes one through nine. But before we get into the episode breakdowns, let's talk about us. So Dayton, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with Dragon Ball? I would love nothing better. So I am a longtime Dragon Ball fan, but just a casual TV series viewer for almost as long as I can remember. I've watched countless hours of the show on Toonami and the Adult Swim Midnight Run, uh, along with a little Batman and Gundam Wing. I've had folders in middle school with Dragon Ball painted across the, the covers of the folders with sketches of characters hidden away inside that thankfully never saw the light of day. I'm not a huge fan of anime in general, but I did try to get thrown out of catechism so I could finish the G Gundam series in Toonami. I think Dragon Ball has made a very early impression on me, and I give it a lot more leeway and hand-waving than I do other series. And I'm also willing to say that Shemmel is the best Goku voice actor, and I'm willing to die in that hill. And with that, Todd, why don't you go ahead and give us a brief overview of who you are? Of course. I'm Todd. I've been watching Dragon Ball for 26 years now. So I was about seven years old when I first saw it. And Dragon Ball was my first anime. And it differentiated itself from all the other kids' cartoons that were airing in America at the time because it had a continuous storyline with death and consequences, kind of, as we all know. Uh, it wasn't really like the Monster of the Week style that you saw from things like Power Rangers and stuff like that. And... Dragon Ball also spurred my love for anime, and I expanded out into shows like Gundam, Slayers, Outlaw Star, and Full Metal Alchemist. From there, characters like Goku and Vegeta have inspired me since I was seven years old to push myself, to work hard, and just in general to be a better person. It inspired me to participate in martial arts, weightlifting, sword fighting, anything physical that pushes people to their limit. And that's kind of what I love about Dragon Ball. And so Dayton and I have decided to create this podcast to share that love that we have for the show and to connect with others in the community who also love Dragon Ball as much as we do. And with that said, I think... Between Dayton and I, I'm going to be providing the diehard Dragon Ball fan perspective, and Dayton is going to kind of help keep me grounded a little bit. Where my love for Dragon Ball can cause me to be maybe a little biased at times, Dayton's perspective is often a little bit more casual, 
And so we hope that we can help balance each other out that way. And hopefully if this goes right, we should be giving a nice even perspective on the series between the nice diehard Dragon Ball fan and Todd and the casual fan and myself. Absolutely. And so I think that really wraps things up in terms of introducing the podcast and ourselves. So why don't we go ahead and get started with Dragon Ball Super? Yeah, yeah. If that hasn't scared people away already, we're going to go ahead and break down the first nine episodes for you guys. (laughs) Excellent. All right. So the first story arc in Dragon Ball Super is called God of Destruction. And this right off the bat is going to start introducing some brand new characters and ideas to you right off the first episode. Absolutely. And I think, let's see, our first episode is going to be called The Peace Reward. Who will get the 100 million zenny? Yep. And it begins with a large recap of the battle with Boo. And my biggest takeaway from that recap is that it mentioned that mankind's memories of Boo were erased. And the one thing I can't help but notice is that I, for some reason, remember Boo. (laughs) And you know what? I remember Boo, too. I know he's not everybody's favorite. But uh, I I was glad that they started out kind of giving us a little recap because it was almost 20 years between Dragon Ball Z and the start of Super. So... I think everybody needs a little recap. Yeah, you almost need... And you're trying to build a bridge between the, I guess, the original series and the new series. And that's kind of their way of starting that bridge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we get that little bit of recap there. And then it takes us into a scene with Goku farming, of all things. (laughs) Yeah, because when you think of Goku, you think of agriculture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, what did you think about that? It's kind of like a little slice of life scene there. Well, I mean, it's to me, it's important for, I guess, a couple different reasons. And one is that when Goku's not fighting villains, what is he doing? And it kind of grounds him in the fact that he lives on this planet and he still has the same needs as everybody else. He's got to be able to put food on the table and he's got to have somewhere to live. And he has kids that we could talk about if he actually raises them, but he at least tries to pay for them. And in order to pay for them, you got to make money somehow. And it's been, I don't know how many years since he had entered one of the world martial arts uh, tournaments. So what has he been doing to make money since then? So this kind of gives us that, that idea that kind of peek into his life, how he's getting by. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's, it's giving us a little bit of a moment of downtime after the kind of high octane action of the ending of the boo arc. Mm -hmm. And we also get to see it reintroduces us to Goku. It reintroduces us to Goten as Goten brings Goku his lunch. It reintroduces us to Goku's parenting, which is letting his child drive a tractor off a cliff. Yeah, I don't think anybody would be giving Goku the Father of the Year award <laughs> at any time soon. But uh, yeah, we, we see Goten driving a tractor. I think Goten at this point is somewhere around the age of seven or eight. That sounds about right. Sometimes it's hard to tell with the little anime kids. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people say that Goten and Trunks have been, they should be drawn older than what they actually are in Super in particular. But well, it's also, and I guess this is probably a side tangent, but in anime in general, it seems like kids get old really quick. A lot of 13 year olds in animes that seem like they're full blown adults. 
Yeah, yeah, it depends on the anime, so it, it can definitely be difficult to tell sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it gives us our first kind of look into what Goku's been up to, and it's, it's starting the reintroduction of characters, but it doesn't stay on, I guess, the old characters very long, does it? No, I think actually we move right on to a quick scene, but a uh, our first introduction to Beerus and Whis, mm-hmm. and... I think it shows them starting off eating on some random planet and you kind of get the impression that the the cooks, the hosts are are pretty nervous around these guys. Uh, and you kind of see I mean you see Beerus eating a bunch of food and you get to hear him complaining about the food and mm. I think the whole scene ends up wrapping up with Beerus destroying only half the planet because his food was greasy good but <laughs> greasy yeah it's kind of giving you the idea that this beerus guy he's somebody who one likes to he wants everyone to know that he's a big deal like he makes no bones about it like he's got a big title and he wants everyone to recognize him and bow before him and when he's eating on this planet it seems like it's a major lord of this planet and some of the best chefs that the planet has to offer all lined up and nervously offering their their best dishes to try and appease this person. And at the end of it all, it it's honestly seemed like the people of that planet really didn't do anything wrong. It was just that this Beerus character, he just did not like what he had and therefore the planet was pretty much toast. Yeah, yeah, it... It does a good job of explaining or kind of showing to us that that Beerus is a big deal, or that Beerus is powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it shows us that other people know who Beerus is and know what he's about, mm-hmm. which at this point, as far as we know, is food and destroying planets. Yeah. And uh, I think you also get a couple points of dialogue where Weiss kind of says what you said, where it's like, well, they didn't really do anything wrong. Do they deserve to be destroyed? Yeah, I believe that Weiss even mentions that. That wasn't that a little bit harsh for something that you actually enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're we're getting this kind of uh, almost like this contrasting uh, relationship between Weiss and Beerus right off the bat, which is great. Uh, it, it's a good introduction for those guys. Yeah. So we have. Two new characters, one of them is capable of blowing up entire planets and wants to cause fear in the people that he meets. And the other one almost seems like a, somebody who's maybe keeping this person in check or the doubt or the consciousness of this person. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's difficult to say, but you definitely know that these two characters, they're they're very different, but they're hanging out together for some reason. Right, exactly. And I think we'll get to see, well, obviously we will get to see more of them here coming up. But I think after that, it moves us to, uh, we get to see Mr. Satan and kind of get reintroduced to him. And we see people, you know, praising him. There's a statue of him, I think, in the background. People are chanting Satan in the streets. I I mean, hail Satan, am I right? (laughs) Right. And and, uh, yeah, I mean... uh, People, some people love Mr. Satan, some people hate him. I think he's hilarious. But uh, we get to see him and his interactions with Boo and him trying to quell the the beast that is Boo and Boo's hunger. And we also, this is kind of where the scene about the 100 million zenny comes in. Yes, uh, I believe it was a, um, a 
Peace Prize that was awarded for stopping the the threat of Boo. Am I wrong in that, or was it Cell? I'm trying to remember. I think actually, I think he ends up getting. He does get awarded a Peace Prize. I think the money came from Cell, though, or maybe that's right. Everyone's memories was wiped from Boo. I just mentioned that earlier, so it had to have been Cell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so let's see. I think we move on from that scene to we get more of Goten and Trunks. Now, I honestly wasn't a big fan of this latter half of the episode. Um, we do get introduced to Goten and Trunks again. Was this the uh, the trying to find the water scene or is this later on? Yeah. yeah okay. Is... Yep. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so for the first episode, um, they basically show briefly Gohan and Videl and they explain that Gohan and Videl have been married mm-hmm. and Goten and Trunks or Goten in particular wants to get a present for their wedding. And so they get the bright idea that they're going to, I, I think they go through some things like ideas of jewelry and a couple other things, but they settle on getting some water from a spring that's supposed yeah, to be good for your skin. It was, they were at a, a store looking at lotions and the price for the lotions were outrageous. And they overheard a older gentleman arguing with one of the workers at the store. And he mentioned that he could get something from a hot spring nearby that was, that worked just as well, if not better for basically free. And Goten and Trunks overheard that. And they got basically the location of this hot spring from the old man. And from there they set out to try and find it with their trusty glass jar. Yes. Yes. With their, glass jar and <laughs> i think they run into a snake so the the first bit of combat that we get in dragon ball super is goten and trunks fighting a giant snake yeah and i think i guess the most interesting part about it is that they can't use their full strength because they're near the hot springs where a bunch of people are so they can't just like blow everything up which fair enough but still it was I don't know if there was much of a purpose to it other than just to have some excitement in the episode, but it was kind of hollow excitement. And I don't know. I guess part of it was just they were trying to make kids be kids for an episode, keep it lighthearted, but it it didn't really do anything for me. Didn't move my needle. Yeah, I, I felt the same about this. I I think you might be right, especially because Dragon Ball Super had aired in a different time slot from Dragon Ball Z. Uh, okay, it's yeah. more like a Sunday cartoon sort of thing. And I think they targeted young a younger audience this time around. So I have a feeling that's kind of what they were trying to do with Goten and Trunks in this scene. It's interesting that you bring that up because I don't even think about that kind of stuff anymore with all the streaming services available. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, And I mean, this this did air back in 2015, which, gosh, has already been six years at this point. But... You didn't have to bring they, that up. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But I think they, they still end up, I mean, they still have their regular time slots and stuff, and they have to kind of accommodate to uh, what they can show in those time slots. Mm-hmm. Well, I think after they get their, their jar of water and they give it to Videl and they show how just perfect Videl is and the water makes her feel awesome, I think it flips over to, I believe, a limo pulling up to where Goku's farming at, right? It does, yeah, and I think we get to see Mr. Satan, and again, this is where the title of the episode comes in, where Mr. Satan shows up with a suitcase full of 100 million zenny that he tries to push off onto Goku. And Goku, like at the start of the whole conversation, is like, no, I don't want this money. 
And then Mr. Satan's like, no, I insist you have it. It's a hundred million. And then Goku, he's not even good enough at math to realize how much a hundred million zenny is. He didn't know how much it was, but he didn't want it. And he starts, he's refusing the money. He's like, no, I can't take this money. It's your money. You're giving it. And then Goten, being smart, tells Goku, well, if you bring home this money, you won't have to work the farm. And then you can go off and do your training. And that, I think, is the thing that pushes Goku over. He doesn't want the money for himself. He wants the money to make Chi-Chi happy. So that way he's allowed to go and leave his kids again. Right. And that's, we might have glossed over that a little bit, but one of the main reasons why Goku is farming is because Chi Chi has pushed him to do something, to have a job, to yeah. make some money, basically. Yeah. Cause it turns out doing pull ups and sit ups doesn't really pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to add to that, you know, feeding at least two Saiyan mouths in that household <laughs> has got to be astronomical in terms oh, of God. money. If they eat half as much as Goku, it's still too much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think we that resolves in Goku ends up taking the money. Uh, Mr. Satan mentions that he tried to give it to Vegeta and he wouldn't take it because he's married to Balma and all that. Who's I think the richest person on the planet, so what, what would that do for him? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't need it. If Bulma lost $100 million, I don't think she would notice it. She wouldn't stop to pick it up. <laughs> Pocket change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think to wrap up that episode, the very tail end to just kind of give us a taste of what's to come is we get to see the Supreme Kai and the Elder Kai. Oh, yeah, that was in that episode, wasn't it? Yeah. Just briefly, and it's it's just enough for them to express their concern about the destruction of one of the planets in their universe that they, you know, kind of oversee and protect. And I think that leads us into episode two. Episode two. To the promised resort, Vegeta takes a family trip is the name that I have. Yes, and... Actually, real quick, I wanted to just talk about uh, what did you think about the the first episode? What was your take on it and everything? So my overall take of, of the episode was actually pretty good. Um, there was I don't like that there was a little bit of filler, I felt like, with the Trunks and Goten kind of quest to go get a bottle of water. But other than that, I kind of liked it because like you want to know what Goku's doing when there's no one to fight. And we kind of got a little bit of a inside look as to what he's doing, which is he's training when he has time and he's trying to do enough to get by sort of thing. Cause he doesn't care about being rich or having a ton of money. He just wants to make sure that his wife and kids are happy. And as long as he can, you know, reach that bar and he'll do it. But once he reaches that bar, it's like, all right, I'm back to training. I'm back to getting stronger. And I guess outside of that, it also shows, that Mr. Satan actually is kind of a, he's kind of a big hearted individual. Like he's all, he's all bark and no bite sort of thing. And he's actually very kind hearted and he loves the spotlight, but, but he's actually not a bad guy. So I like those aspects of it. But like I said, my only nitpick was the Goten and Trunks kind of side quest. But other than that, I thought it was a great episode and kind of getting me back into the Dragon Ball kind of universe after many years of not seeing it. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's a good take. I I largely agree with you. I didn't necessarily like the pacing, mostly because of the Goten and Trunks portion. I felt like we could have done without that, and the episode would have been better. Mm-hmm. But 
I I liked seeing some downtime with Goku. Uh, we don't get to see that very often in Dragon Ball. No, it's actually very rare, yeah. Absolutely. And I I think I mentioned earlier, I really like Mr. Satan. And <laughs> I think I like Mr. Satan's arc. Like his his arc through the Cell saga where he's, you know, this hothead, blowhard, whatever. Mm. Uh, but then basically taking credit for saving the world from Cell to being the person who resolves the problem with Majin Buu, getting the the planet to give their energy to Goku for the spirit bomb to destroy Buu. Mm-hmm. And then from there to this episode where he's giving money to Goku because he knows Goku's the one who really did all the work. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it also speaks to his character, right? Because his... I, I would say the, the main driving factor of Mr. Satan or Hercule, whichever interpretation you want to go with um his main driving factor i think is that he wants people to like him i think that's a very central force with him so he wants the crowds and the audiences to like him and the fact that you know he got this money for his thing that he didn't do which was like all right well i feel guilty about that goku you need to have this like i also want you to like me like he's he's not a bad guy he just he needs that spotlight he needs that audience and I think that that kind of plays into it. Like he has that guilt riding on him and like, he feels like he did somebody wrong and he has to write it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that about his character a lot. And you reminded me of something too. So uh, Miss, Mr. Satan or Hercule, <laughs> he, they actually changed his name in the dub. They, they changed him from Hercule in the Dragon Ball Z dub to mm his original name, Mr. Satan in the Dragon Ball super dub. I I think people are just more comfortable with Satan nowadays. Like maybe 20 years ago, not so much, but today like, yeah, like you're in a Satan. Cool. Like, all right. Yeah. Satan's just a household name. What can I say? (laughs) Naming my firstborn Satan, you know, that's right. But I also wanted to, uh, to remind everybody or let everybody know. So we are going through the Dragon Ball super in the, English dub. Uh, both Dayton and I have watched the Japanese subs or the Japanese with English subs when it originally aired. So we wanted to try something different and see uh, what the dub has to offer. And so far, it's been pretty decent. I haven't had too many complaints about it. Yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to episode two. So. All right. So, yeah, like I said earlier, episode two is to the promised resort. Vegeta takes a family trip. And this episode, I believe, starts off with King Kai on his planet. And he's getting in his red sports car and he's getting ready to go for a drive around that planet. And when he starts his drive, who shows up? I think we get Goku showing up to King Kai's planet here. Instant transmissioning in, and I think King Kai crashes his car into his house. His one car into his one house and loses everything that he loves in an instant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Goku being the considerate and thoughtful guy that he is just says, hey, I want to use your planet to train because 10 times gravity. Mm-hmm. And so, while not really helping King Kai rebuild his house, but bringing up the fact that he's a, you know, basically a deity and could just create a new house, King Kai explains that he likes working on it because it passes the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think he makes a comment about hard work, which I actually like because I feel like that's a 
it's just a common theme throughout Dragon Ball is it hard really work is. and pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. But uh, I believe that's a pretty brief scene because from there we go to Vegeta going on a vacation with his family. And it all starts with, I think, a, a recollection of a promise that he had made to Trunks. Yes. And this is great. I love this. The, this ties things back to the original Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. And there are so few scenes where we get to see Vegeta as a family man. Mm-hmm. And this this does that. This is great. I love it. Uh, but we start out with Vegeta on top of the flying spaceship aircraft. Yeah, it's not really a plane. I don't know what you call it. The rocket propelled van. <laughs> <laughs> That's about what it looks like. Yeah. But Vegeta's on top of it. Trunks and Bulma are inside. And Vegeta's just complaining about the fact that he's not doing training. Hmm. And then Bulma decides she's going to try to give him some sort of training by flying through the woods and through the water and uh vegeta continues to complain about it is insufficient so <laughs> i so go ahead so you can tell that Vegeta's reluctant about this whole thing but he's also vegeta has become kind of an honorable man at this point like when he says he's going to do something he's going to do it and you can tell that it's his his pride that's keeping him there the thing that usually drives everything with that character is driving him to go on this family vacation Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And pride is is the important word there, because I, I don't think Vegeta would allow himself to make that promise and then mm. back out on it. Absolutely. And so while he is not necessarily being a fun bug throughout the entire vacation, he is there and he's sticking it out. And there's a lot of scenes where, say, they're going out shopping and Trunks can't carry all the gifts and Vegeta's not carrying anything. And Bulma makes a comment about how, why don't you help? And Vegeta just kind of, you know, shrugs it off or whatever. There is a scene, however, that I thought was pretty funny where they go out to eat. And that is the first time Vegeta shows joy in the entire trip. Yes. Yes. And it, it shows the relationship between Bulma and Vegeta really well because Vegeta or Balma realizes, hey, Vegeta's, you know, being a sourpuss. He's having a bad time. He's being grumpy. And she's like, I know exactly what will make him <laughs> cheer up. Mm. He needs food. Uh, typical saying, fighting and food. So <laughs> they only need two things. They're a simple animal to take care of. Absolutely. <laughs> and so we get a fun scene of Balma just ordering all these different types of food for Vegeta and eventually getting this giant octopus that sprays Vegeta with its ink. And <laughs> you get Veg- both Balma and Trunks trying to quell the situation. <laughs> As he's just bubbling over with rage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, again, these are these are just really fun scenes. I really like this episode. They did a really good job showing their relationships. Mm-hmm. And... I believe they eventually end up at some sort of late night festival with fire dancers and all kinds of stuff going on. And it's a crowd of people and they lose each other in in the audience. And Vegeta's in the middle of this crowd and he's being bumped into and people are elbowing him and he's just, he's getting furious. And I believe Bulma and Trunks were trying to find him, but they kind of lost him in the crowd. And right. at some point, Vegeta just blows a gasket and screams and just flies off. 
And I believe there was a comment along the lines of, well, we're at least glad he made it this long as he flies off to start his training somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's like I was saying, it's fleshing out that relationship between Balma, Vegeta and Trunks, too. It's uh, Balma and Trunks both were like, well, you know, at least he lasted that long. Like, I'm surprised he didn't bail sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you get the impression that Balma really understands Vegeta very, very well. And she knows I, how to handle him. And also she's just super independent once he oh, leaves. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, well. And one thing with that too, is that both uh, Bulma and Vegeta are very pride centric characters. Both of them are very proud. They're also very short tempered, but and that's the one thing that I don't ever really see in Trunks is I don't see as much of the short temper in Trunks. I don't know how he didn't get as much of that gene considering both of his parents are pretty short tempered, but he did get the pride gene though. Like Trunks is usually pretty smug and arrogant when he's talking to Goten or doing things. Yeah. Yeah. The, the funny thing to me about kid Trunks versus future Trunks is that kid Trunks grew up in money, in wealth. And mm. he's, he's basically been, spoiled his whole life he's had you know the the richest woman in the world his father's one of the strongest people in the world he's probably the most powerful child in the world yeah yeah absolutely and so you you can tell that he's very spoiled he's Mm -hmm. he, he has such a different personality from future trunks who just lost things over and over whether it be People, I mean, didn't have, you know, money, resources necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they're they a really good contrast to one another, seeing how each one was raised. Which is great because uh, I guess later on down in the story, we will see future trunks and you will get to see that contrast. So it, yes. it's one of those things that you kind of, once you see it, you're just like, wow, I can't believe that these are the same people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think... For episode two, the next scene that they show us is going to move back to Beerus and Weiss. And we get to see a lot more of them this time, where Weiss is trying to capture this dinosaur, and he made a a bet or something with Beerus that he could do it in, I think, two and a half minutes. And Yeah, it was something like three minutes or something. Like, give me three minutes and I will get this meat for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, Beerus ends up interrupting the time or going in before the time is completed. And we get to see them kind of battle out with this cave people. Uh, or at least one caveman in particular who seems to be like the strongest of all of them. Yeah, it's it's Weiss trying to negotiate with what is a pretty primitive culture. And I believe he's actually able to speak to them and with all of his requests and everything, even speaking their caveman language, all he gets is a bunch of bluster and blowback and just the, the caveman guy will not negotiate. And why would he? He just you know, went out and killed this big dinosaur thing and he's going to go feed his whole tribe or whatever they are. And then just some random person or thing shows up and says, hey, you should just give that to me. No, I I don't blame him. I wouldn't just give up the the meal I'd hunted and fought for. And once those negotiations start going south, Beer shows up and just says, time's up, like I'm taking this. And that's where things kind of start bubbling over as the caveman decides to show his cool form transformation and pull out all the stops and start. And well, 
I guess you could call it a battle with Beerus, but it's not really so much a battle as it is uh, just kind of a one-sided argument. Yeah, a little bit more of a beatdown than a battle, <laughs> yeah. but mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's cool. We get to see a, a almost dinosaur-esque transformation from the caveman, and Beerus has no trouble with this guy whatsoever. So it's it's still showing us the audience that Beerus is very powerful that uh you know nobody has really challenged him so far and people are afraid of him so so it's not just his ability to blow up planets it's he also has fighting prowess because this big strong caveman who had a giant club and was obviously able to fight and hold his own pretty much put up no match against Beerus so we know he can fight we know he can blow up planets and we know he has a a short temper and he's not afraid to to basically do whatever it takes to get his way. Yeah, absolutely. I think it ends with Beerus once again blowing up the planet and we get just a brief scene of him seeing this silhouette that uh, those who have seen the show know is going to be our Super Saiyan God coming up. Yep, it was a premonition he was trying to remember. And I believe that after they kind of introduced the idea of the Super Saiyan God, we flip back over to Vegeta and Goku as they begin their training sessions. Yes. Yeah, we get some quick little training montages from them. And I think our episode pretty much wraps up with Beerus and Whis talking about the Super Saiyan God. So what did you think about this episode as a whole? So the episode as a whole, I... It's not my favorite episode, but it's not my least favorite episode. Um, I I like seeing Vegeta trying to be a family man, but it really didn't really it didn't do a lot for me to convince me that Vegeta's not just a dick all the time. But hmm. at least he's there. At least he's trying. Um, I like this episode for the fact that it it kind of shows what Beerus's aspirations are or are going to be with the Super Saiyan God kind of reveal. And you know it has something to do with our main characters because there's only, what, half a dozen Saiyans left in the universe. So you know where he's probably going to be going. You know why these two forces are going to collide. Yeah, not a lot of options in terms of Saiyans. No, unless you want to conjure one up or wish for one, you're pretty much just going to Earth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, more or less. And I I always like King Kai, so anytime you give me some King Kai, I'm pretty happy. King Kai is always fun. And yeah, I think... I think for me, I I felt a little bit different. I really liked this episode, mostly because I really liked the interactions between Balma and Vegeta and a little bit of Trunks in there too. But I mean, Balma Balma and Vegeta are two of my favorite characters. So I really like seeing them do their thing, seeing their character growth. And this, this might be one of the, one of the only times actually in Dragon Ball that we really see them act like a couple. I don't think we see, even in the Boo arc, I don't think we see much of that at all. I'm trying to remember. Usually it's just kind of implied, but you, I don't think you ever really see anything. Not that I can think of, not that I can remember. Yeah, so this, I mean, this kind of, you know, spoon-fed me that little bit of fan service there that I wanted to see, there so I, I appreciated it in that way. Yeah, a little romance for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dragon Ball isn't always the best at uh, representing romance or relationships. No, no. God, no, they're not. But I think from there, I think that's going to lead us into the next episode where we're going to be 
Continuing with this premonition, the episode's titled, Where's the Rest of the Dream in Search of the Super Saiyan God? And the episode begins with the Kais notice uh, Beerus's awakening. And they begin to discuss um, how he's kind of a similar being as them, that the Kais were made to protect and create, and this being was made for destruction. And there's a brief discussion about how, like, well, he must be a good guy then because he's just bringing balance to things. And Supreme Kai brings up the fact that, no, it's not quite the same because his actions are selfish and chaotic. Right, right. We get a little bit of back and forth between the Kais there. And then I think that the the Supreme Kai and the Elder Kai are contacted by King Kai, uh, who is... <laughs> Kind of butting into their conversation (laughs) and they they're they're basically discussing the fact that they're aware that Beerus is awake and destroying planets and they don't want him to run into Goku or at least that's King Kai's motive in this conversation. Which is interesting because it's this destruction entity has awakened. And the first thing you think of is, well, he can't fight this guy in my planet over here because that would be bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think at this point, King Kai knows Goku pretty well. And mm. King Kai knows that if Goku finds out that there's some strong destroyer god who's now awake in the universe, Goku's going to want to fight him. Oh, yeah. And the fear isn't that you know goku's gonna beat him up or something like that it's the fear is that goku's going to irritate him and cause mass destruction like they've never seen before yeah absolutely this this almost feels like a callback a little bit to goku learning about frieza now the biggest difference here is that goku learning about frieza was treated it was treated with much more dread and fear. Uh, there, there's definitely fear here from the Kais in particular, mm. but it, it doesn't seem quite as serious, especially because you get the little bit of Goku flavor in here where he's being kind of silly and flipping about things. Well, I think a big part of the fear of Frieza was to protect Goku's life. It was Goku, don't fight Frieza. You can't win. Frieza's on a whole different level. Like you'll just die. Like just do what you need to do and get the hell out of there. Whereas with Beerus, they're worried about the destruction of, you know, swaths of the universe. And that's, you're talking about one man's life who's a really good guy versus countless millions or billions. Right. Yeah. I I think that the the part with Frieza almost felt a little bit more personal with Goku. But mm. the, the part with Beerus is the Kaiser worried about the entire universe. It's, it's mm. very large scale. And, and I think there's kind of an escalation with the different series. Whereas Goku, it was about his mission, his quest. And that was the concern. And then right. I think with Boo, with the Kai's involvement, it was this monster who was just going to go from planet to planet and destroy everything. And there was a big concern with them. And now with Beerus, you're talking about like, this is a universal threat. This is something that could cause destruction. Like no one's ever seen before. And this is something that would probably, if it was mad enough, it, it would probably start blowing up Kai planets or something like that. It, you don't know where Beerus would stop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And speaking of which, the next scene that it cuts to from there is more of Beerus and Whis. And we get a little bit of Beerus eating food again. I mean, the common Dragon Ball theme is, you know, people like food. And 
Oh, and uh, Beerus, uh, they implied that he killed the dinosaurs. He, he was the meteor. Oh, yes. That's, <laughs> that's a good good note there, is that uh, they explained that Beerus destroyed the dinosaurs on Earth, which is kind of funny, but he didn't destroy the planet. So mm-hmm. I, I had a giggle about that. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is kind of funny. But uh, uh, I believe it's in this scene where they reveal that they have a magical fish that does prophecies. Yeah, the oracle fish. And mm-hmm. I think that Beerus here asks the oracle fish about the Super Saiyan God. Mm-hmm. And, and the uh, fish has trouble remembering the name. Actually, he was looking for the name Super Saiyan God because he couldn't right. remember the name. And the fish couldn't remember. And then Beerus said, all right, well, if you can't remember, I'm taking your your meals from three to two. And that that's what really pushed that fish in overdrive. And he remembered the name Super Saiyan God. And at that point, Whis uses his magical Google staff to find out about Goku and the other Saiyans. And that's kind of their first hint or lead as to where the Super Saiyan God might be. So they find out where the Saiyans are. They find out the Super Saiyan God. Yes. And so we get a little bit of, you know, traditional Dragon Ball comedy there with the Oracle Fish and taking his meals away. The next scene where Whis is using his staff to search for the Super Saiyan or the Super Saiyan God we get a little bit of a comedy bath scene with Beerus standing out of the bath and Whis getting a little bit of a view of too much Beerus for him. Yeah, too much for some. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> he seemed a little bit bashful, but he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> he only looked away after getting an eyeful. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so. I believe after the bath scene, they start making plans because they know that Goku is on the North Kai's planet. And so I believe Beerus asks Whis to start packing a snack for the however long drive it would be over to the North Kai's planet to go ahead and meet this Goku Saiyan fella. Right. And then I think we move on from there to the scene of a lot of our, I guess, side characters on the yacht that Balma has purchased or rented for her birthday. I think it's hers because it's called the Princess Balma. That's Ah, the name of the ship. (laughs) That's right. Um, And the only note I have on this is Balma never misses an opportunity to show how rich she is. I mean, if you were the richest woman on earth, would you? Why not? Why not? Uh, Right. I, I do recall the name now that you said that too and i i really like that nod to the fact that she is married to the prince. prince of all saiyans <laughs> I, I think that's fabulous oh uh, it's funny i mean why not she needs a little bit more to go to her head right i well <laughs> <laughs> if there's anything going on in that family it's uh it's ego that's for sure <laughs> absolutely and i think um is there anything else with that episode after the introduction of her her birthday ship not a whole lot. Uh, just little scene with Goku, the Kais, and basically the fact that Beerus is traveling to to meet with Goku. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we end on that episode. So what did you think about that episode as a whole? So I actually did like that episode as a whole. I thought that was one of the better episodes. It felt like it had decent pacing. Um, there's a lot of good information in it. You kind of get to know a little bit more about this Beerus and how he's kind of a, a deity of destruction and how it relates to the Kais and you kind of, you know what their concerns are. Um, 
you also get the new fish character and there's a little bit of humor throughout this whole thing. It's not very action packed, but it didn't need to be. I thought it was a very relevant episode. Right. Yeah. It's, it's expanding. uh, It's expanding on Beerus and Weiss as characters. And it's basically, it's setting things up. It's setting up the, the conflict that is to come in Mm. the next couple of episodes here. We, we kind of know where things are going at this point. We know how the threads will eventually lead together. Right, exactly. So I think we can go ahead and move on to episode four at this point. Oh, boy. Oh, this episode. <laughs> oh, yes. This, mm-hmm. uh, well, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot to talk about with this episode. <laughs> episode four, bid for the Dragon Balls, Pilaf gang in action. And I have very few notes about this episode because I don't, this is not my favorite episode. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. This episode, they could have removed this episode and we would have lost almost nothing of importance. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, so let's, I think we spent a little bit more time on the other episodes than we were intending, so let's just skim through this one real quick. Um, My few notes on this one is that we find out that the... Uh, ship has all seven Dragon Balls on it, which is probably the most important piece of information in this episode. That Bulma's collected them as a bingo prize that she's giving away on her birthday, including like a castle and some other extravagant things. Um, <clears throat> I have a note in here that some of the music in this episode reminds me of Animal Crossing. I don't think that's relevant, <laughs> but it's there. It's probably not a good thing. And let's see here. Oh, King Kai actually explains to Goku after trying to keep his mouth shut, but he he's not the best at it, that um, Beerus is a deity of destruction, and he's on the same level as Supreme Kai. And, of course, this ex- excites Goku and only makes Goku want to meet him even more. Right. So we get that little important tidbit. I think what we're kind of glossing over here is that most of this episode is kind of fluff. Uh, some of it with our side cast on the yacht and then the the majority of it with Goten and Trunks and the Pilaf gang and why the Pilaf gang is here again. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were great in Dragon Ball, loved them in Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. Not sure that they're relevant in this scenario. It, it almost feels like it's just, they're trying to make a reference to the past. Like, look, we remember, we remember these guys here. They are. Look at them. And it's like, all right, cool. But, you know, they're not really relevant. They don't really, they're not doing anything. So I guess no. neat. Like you guys could nod the cap towards them and move on with your day. And I, I'd probably be a little excited about that. Like, oh yeah, that's Pilaf. I remember him. But the amount of screen time they get is not really equivalent to their importance. Yeah. So I think both of us feel we're not the, the biggest fans of this episode. So I think we're just going to go ahead and move on to episode five. Yes. Thank you. And episode five is the ultimate fight on King Kai's planet. Goku versus the God of destruction Beerus. And that is one hell of a name. Look at that. That is a mouthful. That's one hell of a title. <laughs> I, now I, I do have to say this episode when it first came out was super controversial in the fandom because it's probably been talked to death on the internet, but the art for this episode was not the greatest when it first aired. Yeah. And it's one of those ones. I watched the, um, the subtitle version first and I don't 
pay as much attention to the animation as much as I should when I'm reading subtitles. So some of that stuff I definitely miss. And I'm also just excited to be watching some Dragon Ball. So I also kind of let some of that stuff pass. But after seeing some artist breakdowns of some of the things that went wrong, yeah, there are some fair complaints there. Um, It doesn't ruin the series or anything for me. There's definitely some complaints, but it's I don't think it's overall a bad episode, though. Right. I agree. And my first time watching this, I totally let the poor animation slide because I was so excited, like you said, to just see Dragon Ball fighting again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Watching it back a second and third or fourth time through, that animation is real rough. Now, not to put the fault on the animators, they were not given, as I've heard after the fact, they were not given a very good or long time frame to animate these episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it it, it looks bad and it it improves later in the series, which we'll see later on. Yeah, it's, this is probably the biggest example of what overworked animators will produce. And like you said, it's not their fault. They were given a really small window they were overworked. There were a lot of teams working on different things and people being kind of assigned to projects that they probably shouldn't have been working on. But overall, it's not it's not the best animation. It's also it doesn't ruin the episode for me, though. So but I right. think we that was something that we that needed to be discussed and kind of gotten out of the way. I don't I don't think that ruins anything. But at the same time, it's a fair complaint from people who care about that stuff. Absolutely. Let's talk about the content of the episode here a little bit. So uh, mainly what we are talking about with the animation is that the majority of this episode is uh, some some discussion of Beer- with Beerus and Whis, uh talking to King Kai and Goku. And Beerus is out here searching for the Super Saiyan God. And he's here to find Goku because he's hoping that he either will be that Super Saiyan God or will know who the Super Saiyan God is or how to find him. Yeah, and I believe Beerus, King Kai senses Beerus getting near his planet. Like he just basically just took a straight line and went straight towards King Kai's planet. And at that point, King Kai decides to take Goku and shove him into his ruined house to try and hide Goku as King Kai tries to kind of smooth things over and just his game plan was to appease Beerus and send him on his way. But it doesn't take long for Beerus to spill the beans and tell him, yeah, I know that you're harboring a Saiyan on this planet. Why don't you go ahead and bring him out? Right. And again, we're getting the impression that people are afraid of Beerus. Beerus is powerful. Beerus, you know, has, has knowledge. Like he's, he's being built up to be something big and important. And this episode shows that to us because we get to see Goku challenging Beerus to a fight and he gets dominated. Uh, Yeah, I would say so. It was not even close. I don't even think Beerus, he didn't break a sweat. He didn't even have to try. Yeah, absolutely. We see Goku start out in Super Saiyan and then move up to Super Saiyan 2 and end with Super Saiyan 3 and... Yeah, for almost the entire fight, Beerus is just dodging Goku's attacks and then finishes the fight with a flick to the forehead and a chop to the back of the neck and 
Goku's a, a pretty soft looking chop from the amount of effort it looked like Beerus put into it. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, considering Goku at Super Saiyan 3 was about the same level as Majin Buu. Yeah. That's a big deal considering we haven't really seen anybody stronger than Buu or Super Saiyan 3 Goku in and e- Dragon even Ball. the Kai's were concerned about Majin Buu. And so you're talking about something that is that even other deities consider like a threatening force within the universe. Goku yeah. was as strong as that and Beerus just he's on a whole another level. It's nothing that they've ever really encountered before in the series. And on top of that, one note I'd like to bring up is that when Goku is fighting Beerus, he makes mention that he cannot sense Beerus's energy. That's a good point. And that uh, was basically something that we kind of saw, like Goku couldn't sense him coming, couldn't sense him while he was fighting him. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, we'll, we'll get to see a little bit more of that in the later episodes too. Yeah, it's kind of laying the groundwork for kind of a differentiation between deities and mortals. Right. I think the episode kind of wraps up with Beerus going to Earth because he finds out that Prince Vegeta is alive and on Earth. And Mm -hmm. Beerus is going to see if Vegeta knows anything about this Super Saiyan God. So Beerus goes ahead and packs up after giving Goku a little bit of a whooping. And as soon as Beerus leaves, King Kai shoots a message over to Vegeta that, hey, Beerus is coming. Like, get ready. Yes, absolutely. And so that pretty much wraps up that episode. I think we've mostly talked about, like, both of us feel fine with this episode. The action was okay, if not mm-hmm. the best animated. But it's it's telling us the story. It's showing us how strong Beerus is. Uh, so it does a pretty good job of that. Yeah, I... It's a pretty good episode. Um, like I have a couple small nitpicks. I mean, as far as the actual content of the episode, it's it's right up there with every other Dragon Ball episode. It there's some fighting, there's a little bit of story, there's some progression of the story arc. Yeah, I'm happy with this episode, and I have my critiques of the animation, but it didn't ruin it for me. And yeah, yeah, I don't mind this episode at all. Yeah, absolutely. With that said, let's go on to episode six. All right, episode six, Don't Anger the God of Destruction, Excitement at the Birthday Party. So, yeah, I would say any birthday party with a God of Destruction would be pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, and we definitely get to see that in this episode where Beerus shows up. Uh, actually, I think the we initially get to see a little bit of a little bit of fluff with Vegeta showing up to the party. And we see some of our side cast just enjoying themselves. But then Beerus shows up and we get to see Vegeta's reaction to that. And he seems very, very scared. Yeah. And I guess he should be. He pretty much beat Goku in one or two attacks. And when Beerus first shows up, he's actually toying with Vegeta. He's staying out of his vision. He's sneaking up behind him. He's kind of making Vegeta kind of go a little crazy. And we all know that Vegeta's a pretty powerful guy. The fact that Beerus was able to just toy with Vegeta like he was nothing is that there's always this constant reminder that Beerus is just on this whole nother level. And I love that about this. It also shows how arrogant and cocky Beerus is because he knows he's on another level. Like, all right, I know this Vegeta guy. I, well, we'll get into uh, Beerus and Vegeta's dad later in the episode, but 
there's a history between the Saiyans and Beerus that they're going to get into in a minute, but you, it really kind of lets you know who's in charge in this scene. Like, there's no mistaking it. Beerus is the guy that's going to lead this dance. Yeah, absolutely. And that exchange actually leads right up into the the backstory that you're talking about. After Beerus gets done playing with Vegeta, we get to see this flashback of Beerus just dominating Vegeta's father, King Vegeta. And he's just got his foot on King Vegeta's head. He's pushing it into the ground. And there's a little gag about... Uh, King Vegeta was supposed to give Beerus the softest pillow in the <laughs> yeah, universe. That's right, yep. Mm-hmm. And he gave him the second softest, so he uh, he disobeyed Beerus's orders. What an idiot. What yeah. an idiot. Uh, and so we get to see exactly why Vegeta is so afraid of Beerus in these scenes, which is... I mean, we don't we don't get to see Vegeta scared of anything very often, even when he's, you know, the underdog and he realizes that he's going to be beat. We don't see him show fear frequently. I would say the last time we see Vegeta actually scared was probably back in the Frieza saga. Yeah, I think I think there were a couple of points where where Vegeta pretty much said out loud, like, we can't win. We have to run. We can't beat this guy. He's on a whole nother level. This is. That's the last time I can think of Vegeta actually being scared of something. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that you're right. I think uh, Vegeta's very visceral response to Frieza is... We don't see it quite as bad here with Beerus, but we definitely get the impression that even with as strong as Vegeta is, even with as much pride as a Saiyan Vegeta has, mm-hmm. he, he he's scared of Beerus the God of destruction. So that, that again, like you said, is building on Beerus as this powerhouse and this, you know, almost force of nature that he is. Um, Yeah. And I believe in the middle of this, I don't know what you want to call it, but this interrogation or something, because Beerus is trying to find the super Saiyan God. uh, Bulma actually comes walking up and in the middle of this thing, uh, Beerus turns and just starts treating Balma with just complete and utter respect, and Balma loves it, and she starts treating Beerus with respect, and she kind of walks off with this just being that could just destroy everything at just the drop of a hat. Yeah, yeah, I I, I like this. I like that uh, in some ways it shows, you know, Balma's a little bit ignorant to what's going on, but Balma is always, she's always independent, she's a very strong-willed woman, and she's, you know, even if she knew that Pyrrhus was as strong as he was, I don't think she would care. She she just kind of does what she wants to do. <laughs> and let's be real. She also knows that she's married to, or dating, or whatever the relationship is, to one of the strongest men or beings in the entire universe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this kind of segues into Balma bringing Beerus into the party, and... uh we get to see Vegeta just being scared that somebody is going to upset Beerus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is actually the first time we've ever seen Vegeta being subservient. Yeah, and I think there are some of those scenes that I wasn't really a big fan of because it, even if Vegeta were afraid, I'm not really a big fan of him 
kissing it was, ass. It was goofy, right? Like it was, it almost felt a little out of character. It did, and I I wasn't a huge fan of that. I mean, you could argue that it it that's how his character has grown and developed, and that you know he's trying not to solve everything with violence, uh, especially when he knows he's outclassed. But yeah, and this is the first time I think where. He couldn't just run away from the problem. So when he got beat by Goku in the Saiyan saga, um, all he did was, after he was beaten, he crawled into his pod and then cackled about how he would be back and fired off. In the Frieza saga, when I believe Captain Ginyu shows up and he's there with Goku, um, he was like, yeah, sure, I'll back you up. I got your back. And then he cackles and runs off. Well, now he's got a kid and a woman and he's just like, all right, well, I'm here for the long run now. I can't just cackle and run off and leave the only couple of things I care about to die. So it's, I, I suppose there's something there to him kind of figuring things out and not really knowing how to deal with an overwhelming situation because he, he used to run sometimes and now he can't run. And so he's in this awkward spot where he's got to figure out how to survive. Right. And that's a good point. And I do like that part about this scene. I like the fact that Vegeta's invested. Vegeta, you know, calls Earth his home. He's mm. got a wife and a kid, and he's trying to resolve the situation in any way that he can possibly figure out. And even though I'm not a huge fan of, you know, some of the scenes that they give him and the dialogue and the actions, I like the reasons behind what he's doing. I agree with that. Yeah. And I think I was trying to get around to that point where. I could see him doing whatever it takes to make sure that they live because he does have a history of that. That's something he's done. But the way they went around doing it, like it, it was kind of goofy and silly and he's not, you can make him comic relief at some points with his kind of like serious pride filled decisions that he makes. But this, right. this felt a little out of character for him. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And we basically move on to the, party is is going on with Beerus there. Vegeta's trying to keep Beerus from getting angry uh, while Beerus is eating different types of food. We get the scene where Goten and Trunks are having a squirt gun fight and they squirt Beerus with their, their water gun and Beerus gets upset about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where, you know, Vegeta tries to feed him other types of food. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I think the last thing that really sets Beerus off is when he's going to try to eat the pudding that Majin oh, no. Buu has at his table. Yeah, I believe Whis and um, Beerus tried negotiating with Boo over the last, I would say, probably dozen bottles of of um pudding that there are and they want to try it and they say can we try one of those it might be our only chance would it be okay and mr satan's like yeah of course it wouldn't be a big deal why don't you go ahead and hand one over boo and boo says no i'm the strongest these are mine and then he decides to slobber all over every bottle of pudding that there is left on that ship and beerus and we both look on in horror yeah, yeah, and I think the the final scene that we get is Beerus now losing his shit and beating the snot out of Boo. <laughs> Which and felt that, good. I loved every punch he threw into Boo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely entertaining. He swirls him around like a piece of cotton candy mm. and gives him a good energy blast, but that'll that wraps up that episode. What did you think about that episode overall? 
That episode overall, um, that's a middling episode for me. Yeah, I think some of the Vegeta jokey guy stuff was a little much, um, and it was definitely kind of a long sequence of just keeping Beerus happy throughout the party. Like that felt like it dragged on a little bit. Um, the end was nice because anytime Boo gets punched, I'm happy. And also, it's kind of like <laughs> watching kind of like a childhood bully get beat up because that's the way Boo was acting. So that felt good. Yeah, those are those are good points. I I not a huge fan of this episode. It moves the plot along. I kind of like some of the stuff that it's doing with Beerus, but it did the pacing felt a little off. Mm. Uh, like you said, it felt like it dragged a little bit with the the party and getting getting to the point. Also, the wasabi game looked fun. I would totally play that game. Oh man, now I want some wasabi. <laughs> but I think that moves us on to episode seven. Episode seven. How dare you hurt my Balma? Vegeta's sudden angry shift. So oh, man. this episode, uh, that title's very fitting. Um, because Beerus is now, like you said, losing his shit. And he's knocking Boo around and he's throwing all kinds of threats around. And everyone sees this guy and goes, all right, we got to stop him. And so all the Z fighters that are on that ship start getting together and throwing themselves one by one at Beerus. Yeah, yeah. And Beerus handles them without any problem whatsoever. I mean, whether it be Piccolo, Vegeta, Gohan, I mean, all of their strongest fighters... Beerus just handles them like they're children. Yeah, it's pretty much one hit or actually he I think he defeated like three or four of them in just like one power up pushback and it pretty much left all of them um, incapable of fighting. He actually hit Gohan with Boo. So he took two out at once with that, which was kind of neat. Yeah, absolutely. And we even get to see. So they're they're again building up Beerus to be this really powerful character because Majin Buu is one of the strongest people we know. Vegeta is mm-hmm. one of the strongest people we know. Goku is one of the strongest. And we even get to see a sequence with Goten and Trunks fusing into Gotenks, who we know basically fought toe-to-toe with Majin Buu. And uh, he he has his whole comedy routine of getting smacked on the wrist and spanked <laughs> and all this stuff. And just, uh, just treats him like a child, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so... After all this fighting, I believe that uh, Whis mentions that the food is quite good and that could he just, you know, wait a minute while he gets his food? And Beerus responds, eh, I suppose I can hold off in global annihilation for a sampler platter. And Beerus is all about food. That's the <laughs> other, other element of his character that we're finding out throughout this whole mm. sequence for the first few episodes. And we're kind of not done with Vegeta being jokey joke guy because during all this fighting and all this stuff happening, he's just like having like a nervous, sweaty stroke. He's just sitting there. He's unable to move or fight. And he's just envisioning the destruction of the planet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think all of this kind of leads up to a sequence where Beerus has basically beat up everybody and Vegeta finally challenges him himself and similarly gets beat up. And while Beerus is beating the snot out of Vegeta and getting ready to destroy everything, Bulma walks up to Beerus of all people and she admonishes him for ruining her (laughs) birthday party and slaps him across the face. Which is a very Bulma move. How dare you? (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where we get our title card here, where mm-hmm. Beerus returns the slap to Balma. Showing how strong that pimp hand is. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. That backhand. And yeah, that sets Vegeta off. <laughs> and I think that that's where we kind of wrap up this episode. It's it's pretty, uh, there, there's not a whole lot going on outside of the action, which, you know, mm. I'm totally okay with that. It's a build-up episode, and I do have two quick notes. One is, I do think that there's a callback uh, to when Trunks was killed by Cell and Vegeta lost his mind. I do think mm. there's supposed to be a little bit of a similarity to that and Bulma being backhanded. Not Obviously not to the exact same degree, but you can tell Vegeta just kind of loses his mind kind of in the same sense. I felt like they were trying to draw on some strings there. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a good connection to see there. I think that there are very few times that we see Vegeta really get angry for the sake of someone else. Mm-hmm. And those More are big often, moments. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. More often than not, he's, you know, he's fighting for his own pride. He's fighting for himself. He's fighting to prove his strength. And the times that he gets upset for like Trunks's death or Balma getting slapped, like you said, that's that's a big deal. I also have a note on here that is, I guess, sort of for people who have seen the entire thing. Um, <clears throat> so it just says, quick thought, maybe Universe 7 is considered one of the weaker universes because Beerus goes around killing all of its strongest fighters. <laughs> just a thought. I don't know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just, it's one of those things after watching through for the second time now, I'm just like, huh. Wow, he just goes to the strongest planets and kills everybody. Hmm, you know, I sense. really I really hope that caveman dinosaur on that planet that Beerus destroyed, I yeah. hope that guy was like five Gokus. He, he was destined to be a hundred Gokus. I guarantee it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what are your thoughts and opinions on that episode? Overall, I liked it. I felt like the pacing maybe dragged just a little bit, um, but... I I liked the action. We get to see some of the the side characters fight, even though they don't really do a whole lot, unfortunately. But it, it leads us up into this great moment of Vegeta really getting upset, like we were talking about, for the sake of someone else, which I really like. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, I I mean, I think you hit pretty much all the the keynotes there. I you, I feel like with Dragon Ball, you can almost kind of feel when an episode is kind of a build-up episode like all right like all this stuff is happening because in the next episode or two like there's going to be a big reveal or something's going to happen and i like those episodes and it's also because i'm kind of conditioned to the dragon ball format so like i'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of the i'm a big fan of the episode because i know what's going to happen after it yeah i think that makes sense and i think that is going to take us on to episode eight yes episode eight goku arrives a last chance from birasama so this episode um it starts out with we know that vegeta poses no threat to beerus but i do mention that beerus complimented him on being slightly stronger than the other saiyan he had just fought and i like that i thought that was a big takeaway (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's it's a big deal right because vegeta here is only in super saiyan 2 form Mm. and for beerus to say you know because of your rage over your wife getting smacked 
Mm. You are stronger than Super Saiyan 3 Goku. And that is a big theme throughout all of Dragon Ball is that when you've got something to fight for, you fight harder. And I'm glad that there's kind of a little bit of a nod to that even in this scene. Absolutely. On top of the fact that there are very few times that Vegeta gets to be stronger than Goku. Mm -hmm. So let's see here. There's a a good amount of discussion in this episode. Um, Beerus, I think, is a big fan of their tasty food, and he's kind of deliberating sparing Earth over it. Um, I believe that Whis is also kind of mentioning it and bringing it up. I do have a note here that says that there's some more time dedicated to the Pilaf gang. I don't know what they do, and I don't really care. Nope. But um, from there, I think he decides to give Earth a second chance because of their tasty food, and he decides he's going to challenge Oolong to rock, paper, scissors to determine the fate of the Earth. Yes. And so this this feels a little bit silly, right? But... Mm. It's very original Dragon Ball humor. And it's trying to pull in those side characters like Oolong. When's the last time Oolong did anything important in Dragon Ball? It's been a long time. Say, don't make me answer. Don't make me answer. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. I, I, <laughs> thinking in Dragon Ball Z, uh, I'm not even sure that I could think of a moment that he did anything important in mm. Dragon Ball Z. So... It's so, it's kind of neat to see him pulled back in. Yeah, it was kind of funny. And I mean, it's it's Dragon Ball humor. I'm used to it at this point, so I'll take it. Right. And part of me thinks that he was just doing this because I don't think he actually wanted to blow up Earth after he had had their food. And I, I can't read too far into the tea leaves, but part of me also thinks that he he just wants to be like threatening and he likes messing with Vegeta and stuff like that. I think he really does want to encounter the Super Saiyan God. Like, I think that is his number one goal, and he's going to threaten this planet, he's going to throw a fit, and he's going to knock things around until he gets what he wants. He's going to kind of act like a child. Right, and that's I think that's the important takeaway. I mean, we also can tell, even though he's, you know, he might be going out of his way not to destroy the planet, hmm. he doesn't want to lose this rock-paper-scissors match. He takes it very seriously. <laughs> Okay, so let's hold up for just a second. This guy can, like, like move at the speed of light, basically, and fight at the speed of light. I'm guaranteeing he can, like, see and understand and, like, like as Oolong's throwing and starting to make the shape, he can perceive that so quickly. He probably knows what shape Oolong's already throwing, like, like at the split second he starts deciding. I think he's doing it just to mess with him. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I, you know, I... I think you could argue or liken it to the fact that he's also Beerus is also kind of lazy. And we, <laughs> we see that a lot too. I think there's, there's a couple different ways that you could take that. Uh, and I think both could absolutely be valid. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I think the second he decided to start playing rock, paper, scissors, he was just having fun. He was just toying with the planet because ah, it's just another planet. I'll toy with them. Who cares? Like I'm a God of destruction. It's just another planet. Right. And that's, that's another good point that you're bringing up in that the the characterization we're getting from Beerus is that he does not care about people's lives. No. He does they they mean nothing to him. Mm-hmm. The the only reason that he's even toying around or considering leaving this planet alone is one because he likes the food and two because he wants to meet this Super Saiyan god and have this good fight. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a lot more motivation to not blow up the planet than most other planets he's blown up. So it's something. It's a launching point. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why this whole sequence of him destroying or not destroying the planet takes so long is because mm. he's just kind of putting it off. I believe at this point, Oolong loses the game of rock, paper, scissors after a couple ties. Um, and also, I think Bulma said that she would give Oolong anything he wants if he won. I was kind of wondering what that meant, but I'm not going to read too far into that. Some more Dragon Ball humor. <laughs> um, and after he loses, Beerus gets ready to blow up the planet, and then Goku arrives and starts asking Beerus if he could just have a little bit of time to figure out where this Super Saiyan God resides. Right. And yeah, I, I think for the most part, that's where this episode wraps up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of get to see, it leaves us at a little bit of a cliffhanger to see how Goku is going to resolve this problem. Yeah. And yeah, what were your thoughts about this episode? It's not bad. Um, I throughout, I think that super especially early on struggles with pacing which is not uncommon in dragon ball by any means Uh, but some of it feels a little bit drawn out i obviously liked the scene with vegeta fighting beerus and vegeta getting angry about balma getting hit Uh, but the the rest of it felt a little bit slow yeah and i'm even though we always know it's going to happen, I'm a little bit bummed that we kind of have the traditional trope of, hey, Goku's here to save the day. Right, yeah. It's. I mean, that's age-old Dragon Ball, I guess, but what can you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it... Well, yeah, that's, that's just going to happen <laughs> all the time. You could but... have somebody else save the day. That's what you could do. You can just say it. <laughs> one day. We'll, we'll get it one of these days. <laughs> um... So yeah, um, my thoughts are pretty similar. This is, of the nine episodes, this is probably my second least favorite, just because it felt like we were getting ready to get into something good, and then it turns into kind of a gag episode. And right. I think you could have worked enough time into the previous episode to have the Vegeta fight with Beerus, because it wasn't necessarily a long fight. Um, it was only basically a, a few like quick action scenes, and then it was over. And so the rest of the episode was just kind of rock, paper, scissors and jokes and like some dialogue at the party, I guess. I don't know. It wasn't it. There wasn't a lot of substance to this episode other than like Goku arriving. And I don't think anyone's surprised that Vegeta lost a Beerus. Everyone else did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Vegeta is pretty much the lifelong fall guy for Goku to come and save. So. And so far, my two least favorite episodes are up. They have Pilaf gang in them, so that that helps. Yeah, sorry, any <laughs> Pilaf fans out there. But oh god, uh, even think about that. I'm so come back and please keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> As you guys can tell, we really don't think the Pilaf gang adds much to these episodes. No. They they feel kind of. Just extra and unnecessary, to be honest. It's extra comic relief, and they already use a lot of the main characters for comic relief. So we don't we don't need it. It's not like there's a change of pace. It's not like everything's serious, and then the peel off gang are you know bringing us to a calmer, funnier place. It's 
nope, it's Dragon Ball. Like the main characters are funny. Goku can't do math. Like that's funny. So we don't need the peel off gang. <laughs> that's that's peak Dragon Ball comedy right there. <laughs> yeah, right? It doesn't get any better. <laughs> so I think that pretty much wraps up uh, that episode. And that takes us to the last episode that we'll be covering today. And that is episode nine. That is sorry for the wait. Birasama, the Super Saiyan God is finally born. And there were some translation kind of disparities between the name, but that's the one I decided to go with. Yeah, I, I think we've got uh, the episode titles are sometimes changed at least a little bit between the Japanese version and the, the English dub. So we're just going with whichever one we think fits the best at the mm. moment. So I believe at the end of the last episode, Goku mentioned how they had all the Dragon Balls on the ship. So I think that's one thing we glossed over a little bit because at the start of this episode, he asked, you know, is it okay if I summon Shenron? And it's like, well, what was it? He asked actually Goten and Trunks about if Balma had the Dragon Balls. And they were like, absolutely, she does. And he's like, I knew you guys would get in there and find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he he asked them to go get them, mm. and and they do so. And we pretty quickly get to a scene with Pilaf. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus, he is in that scene, isn't he? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead and keep going. I like your version better. <laughs> I was trying to forget, but we get to a scene with Shenron. And uh, oh, thank you, Pilaf. Uh, Shenron, <laughs> and he, I think as he comes out, we get to see him show fear once he realizes that Beerus, the god of destruction, is there. Yep, I think uh, Goku or somebody makes mention that they need to find this guy because Beerus is looking for him. And Shenron kind of like trips over his own tongue. He's like, Beerus? And he looks and just, you can tell that Shenron is just visibly scared. He's trying to show just, an absurd level of respect for Beerus and is just, you can tell he's pretty much just nervous and doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And this is weird. And we don't necessarily get a ton of characterization for Shenron, but Shenron usually comes out pretty flipping confident and mm. it's, it almost feels out of character like it does with Vegeta. But at the I same- agree. I felt the exact same way that it just felt off. Yeah, it feels a little weird, but they're doing it. They're doing all of this to show how scary Beerus is. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I get the point. It, it still felt a little bit weird, even though we don't have a ton of time with Shenron to figure out like what type of person, dragon, dragon yeah. person he well, is. Well, my thing too is that did I? It's not necessary. Because we already know that, like, the Kais are afraid of him. And, like, he's already beaten all the Z fighters. We know how strong Beerus is. Shenron doesn't need to be afraid of him. Like, just let Shenron be Shenron. Like, I'm here to grant wishes, and I don't care if you kill me. Like, I'm a genie, and I'm basically a slave to do wishes. Well, I don't care. Please kill me. Please, Beerus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's kind of weird. And I, I think I agree with you. I would love to know... This is something in the dragon world that isn't really explained is, you know, what what exactly is Shenron? Where does Shenron go when he's not being summoned and granting wishes? Like, is it, you know, like some Aladdin business and he's trapped in the vault? I, I have no idea. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, um, there there are some questions there. Um, And 
I guess I always figured Shen. I guess I had kind of a construct in my head as to what Shenron was, and that really kind of derailed it because I always just assumed that he was just kind of like um like a vessel for granting wishes. He wasn't really like a person, but or a living creature or something. I didn't know. Well, I guess I didn't have questions about it until now. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it just it... introduced a big void in my understanding of Shenron. I was like, all right, now I have a lot of questions. Right, and maybe one day we'll get answers, but not today. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> nope, so Shenron is summoned, and after kind of cowering before Beerus, Goku asks if he can summon the Super Saiyan God to their location, and Shenron says, I cannot do that. And after some more fear chit-chat, um, Shenron relays to them the recipe to making a Super Saiyan God right before he blasts off his pretty much as quickly as he can to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. And so we we get the impression, or Shenron talks about how it's going to take, I believe, six, or he says five. He says it's five, five sayings of pure heart, something like that, pouring their energy into a being or something like that. It's kind of, it's a little bit kind of coded language but it, it should be pretty easy to figure out right and so because of the the language being a little bit ambiguous there we get to see all of the saiyans that we have available here between goku vegeta trunks goten and gohan being bad at math being bad at math, <laughs> which gohan disappoints me come on now I, you know, you'd think that all that time studying <laughs> would let him count to five plus one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it'd be pretty easy. But either way, they try doing it one time and they have the wrong number and they're like, well, okay, well, we don't have enough sayings because we need six. And then Videl steps forward and says, hey, I'm knocked up. Does that count? And then everyone agreed, yes. <laughs> Yeah, does the uh, the saying in my stomach, can that do anything? Yeah, get in my belly. Mm, yes. <laughs> and so they figured out how many sayings they needed, and then they also knew that the secret to making a god was just holding hands with your buddies. And so once they had those two things, they were able to push all their energy into, well, none other than Goku, because... Actually, I have a note in here. It's weird that they decided to give Goku a Toriyama tune-up. Tune up. Oh, yeah. A Toriyama tune-up? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole time, Vegeta's complaining about this, right? Vegeta's saying, like, why does it have to be Goku? And uh, <laughs> he, he's going along with it, mm-hmm. but he's, he's not happy about it. Well, what is it? There's a comment where Goku's like, I don't know. I just feel kind of achy. And Vegeta's like, well, could you quit your bitching? Because you're about to become a god. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which is kind of kind of a funny scenario, but mm. we get this kind of cool scene in my opinion with uh where they're all holding hands and we get to see all of them turn super saiyan and Videl who is not a saiyan, she starts to get like the golden aura and her hair turns like the gold or blonde that you would see from a super saiyan too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, it, it's interesting. I, I was curious if they were going to do more with that, and unfortunately they do not. Uh, but I, I wanted to see if they would do something like, you know, 
is Videl, does that make Videl part Saiyan now? Does that mean that the kid inside of her womb is already a Super Saiyan? Yeah, there's definitely some questions there as to what's going on with that. And I don't, I, I don't know. I have a lot of questions, but they're never going to be answered. So I might as well just go ahead and put those to rest. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're not going to get much out of that one. But I, it's a fun scene. I, I kind of liked what they did with it. I just wish they would have expanded on it a bit more. Definitely. And I don't know. It's. I don't, well, yeah, the whole seance thing, it felt it felt really weird to me because normally the theme is just if you work hard and perseverance and all this other stuff, this just kind of felt like a hand wave, like a big hand wave. And I just, it felt really weird. It just never sat right with me. So that's something, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I really wanted to talk about because a lot of people, at least when the movie for the God of Destruction came out, a lot of people were really excited about the Super Saiyan God. And even now, I think the fandom really, really likes the Super Saiyan God transformation. I'm going to be on the opposite side of that and say, I'm not a fan. I, I don't really like the fact that Goku didn't have to work for the transformation. I don't mm-hmm. like that it was handed to him. And... We'll probably get to this another time when we talk more about the the movie. But in the movie, Goku actually says, I don't like this transformation because it's it's not my own. I didn't get it with my own power. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's very Goku. He wants to, you know, he wants a fair fight. He wants to know the other person, you know, that he's fighting on like fighting fairly as well or Actually, I don't even think Goku cares if the other guy's fighting fairly. He just wants to know that he did everything himself and it's his power that carried him through it. Right, exactly. And so I'm just I'm just not a huge, huge fan. But basically, let's get back to the the meat of the episode here because it basically finishes up the the transformation sequence and we end our episode getting to see the visual of the Super Saiyan God form with Goku's slimmer body and this kind of reddish pink hair. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe TT mentions that he even looks younger. Yeah, yeah. And I, again, even the visual for the Super Saiyan God, I'm not a huge fan of. What do you think about it? Well, okay. Are we just going with our opinions on Super Saiyan God with what we've seen up to this point, or are we going with overall? Because those are two radically different things. <laughs> uh, let's say with just up to this point for the time being. Okay, so with up to this point, um, I already have my reservations about it because it just it felt kind of shoehorned in. Um, it's also another transformation where he just gets. Well, mostly different hair color, but also they make him look a little younger and slimmer. And it's like, all right, well, that's not. There's nothing about it that excites me. I don't look at this and go, there's. Yeah, there's just. God, I don't know another way to say it. I don't know why I should be excited about this. Like, he basically got together with all of his best buds and they held hands and now he has red hair. Like, there's. I don't know what else to say. It's. <laughs> I'm not excited. It's not like with Frieza where he was pushed to an absolute new limit and it hit at like the most dire hour. Yeah. And you care about that. This, yeah, the hour is dire, but he wasn't pushed, you know? Like, he just kind of wanted to fight Beerus. That's it. Right. And I, I feel very similar. I even like the visuals. I don't like the slimmer body design. 
one of the things that I love about Dragon Ball is these big muscular guys who have worked really hard for their physiques and their training and they 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 look like it. And so I'm not a huge fan of the slimmer build. Mm. I don't really like they don't really show the aura too much in here, but we get to see the the aura and the hair. Honestly, to me, the visuals look very similar to Kaioken. And yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of that. We It's very like a, a similar feel, similar look, similar color scheme. Mm. <clears throat> and so it, it, it kind of feels like it's been done already. Yeah, it's it didn't excite me. I like it's the lead up to it wasn't exciting. The visuals weren't very exciting. I don't I don't know what else to say about it. It was just kind of like, all right, you're a Super Saiyan God now. And I don't know. And part of it, too, is that the I guess the further you trend away from like. I'm not going to say relatable, but the further you get from something that you and I can understand, the less I'm I, I guess I care about it to some degree. Whereas in early Dragon Ball, it was martial arts. And then you get martial arts with like Kai blasts and a little bit of flying. And now it's like, all right, well, they're gods. And it's like, okay, I guess neat. <laughs> like you are on such a different level. And if you ever want to make every other character in your story irrelevant, just make one of them a god and the rest not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's going to be a common theme as we go through Dragon Ball Super. And I mean, even Dragon Ball Z had problems with power creep, which, you know, anybody who's a big fan of anime, I mean, Dragon Ball in particular mm. has problems with power creep. And, and the further something goes along, the more likely it's going to happen. Right. And with Dragon Ball spanning... 35 plus years it's it's gonna have some issues with power creep and that's to be expected so Mm. especially Um, since power level is such a important point in dragon ball like at some point they were just like all right we're assigning a number to these guys what's your number can you win (laughs) right right and they quickly got rid of that because they figured that wasn't gonna work well i mean as far as i'm concerned it's still there they just don't tell us anymore that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, I think the, the numbers just get so outrageous that mm. it's it's hard to quantify at this point. Actually, there's a YouTube channel that does like a time lapse that shows the most powerful people in the story. And it like as it goes through time, you can see just where the numbers are in like the hundreds of millions. And it's just like, all right. <laughs> so yeah. they're irrelevant. Just Yeah. Numbers that I don't even know the names for mm. at that point. <laughs> but I think... Uh, I don't necessarily want to end this on a sour note. I think the the ending of this episode, it, it gives us a good cliffhanger to lead into the following episode, episode 10, which we'll probably be covering next time. Mm-hmm. But I think the the next few episodes are are going to give us this big conflict that we've been building up to with Beerus and Goku. And as much as I'm not a huge fan of the Super Saiyan God transformation, it is a lot of fun to see it in action and see Goku be able to clash with this God of Destruction. So, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next episode. So, don't don't spoil too much there, Todd. Absolutely. <laughs> and we have been running a little bit long. We're kind of, you know, with this being our first episode, we're trying to get a feel for how long we can go covering each episode in super. Uh, so 
We apologize if this one's a little bit lengthier than some of our episodes coming up, but we're just kind of figuring out the format and kind of oh, getting yeah. the feel for everything. It's going to take a little time for us to kind of get our groove down and figure out where the sweet spot is, not to time it and all the other stuff. There's a lot more that goes into us than actually I even figured. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not even doing half of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think working together, we're kind of figuring this out. But One mistake at a time. 100%. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to say about those first nine episodes that we were covering? Um, I think uh, just the only thing I'd like to say is that as far as the first nine episodes feeling like Dragon Ball, like Dragon Ball Z or everything else I'd watched, it, it felt like Dragon Ball. I wasn't upset that I'd watched it and it, it felt good and it made me want to continue watching. So I'm I'm pretty happy overall with the first nine episodes. Yeah, and I think for me... The the tone and the pacing felt off at times, mm-hmm. and you can tell that, especially with the Pilaf gang, that it, it's it's being catered towards a younger audience a little bit, which is a little bit of a shame. But at the same time, you know, when I grew up watching Dragon Ball, I was seven, eight, nine years old. So, and all the blood was edited out. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> Our uh, wonderful Cartoon Network editing was uh lots of censorship going on for that version <laughs> that's fine i still got the gist yeah and i mean it, that's the thing though is that just getting to see dragon ball on the small screen again i i was super happy when it came back out in 2015 absolutely yep mm-hmm. and so i think that's where we're going to be wrapping things up for our very first episode of instant transmission this has been our discussion of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Super. This is your host, Todd. And Dayton. Join us next time as we move on to the second half of the God of Destruction arc of Dragon Ball Super. We'll be discussing episodes 10 through 18 for our next episode, which is going to bring Beerus's arc to a close. And... Thank you all for joining us for the very first episode of Instant Transmission. I think at this point I'm repeating myself, but (laughs) we're getting things figured out. We're figuring out. It's a work in progress. That's right. So stay safe out there, everybody, and keep rocking the dragon. Yeah.